welcome to the Soccer Camp. It's time to break down the barriers. A show dedicated to creativity, adaptations, and purpose. Stupendous! The greatest moment I've seen in Premier League football. Real coaches. Real talk. Unbelievable! Real growth. Now, welcome your host, Roberto O.B. Hernandez. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Soccer Cat. This one, we got a special edition. So every episode so far has been coaches. Now we're going to bring you the view from the player side. We have with us professional player from the defiance of the USL Championship, um, who also are affiliated with the Seattle Sounders. He's a local legend from Bakersfield, California. Grew up here, played in local club, and then went to Seattle Sounders Academy and eventually moved into the professional ranks. So uh, we're really excited to have him. Welcome in Marlon Vargas. Marlon, thank you for again for joining us today. Thank you, Obi. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course, dude. We're pretty excited to have you on here, and I'm sure our listeners are excited to get the perspective of a professional player, which is uh, something that we don't get to see very often, so it's pretty cool um, having a local legend on here. Um, so kind of just to hop in it, um, a quick little introduction. Obviously, I mentioned where you're from here, uh, you know, grew up playing in Bakersfield. Can you just kind of touch on that a little bit, you know, a little bit about Bakersfield, um, what age you picked up? Was it uh, rec? Was it club? And what made you kind of start playing in the, and fall in love with the beautiful game? Yeah, so, you know, I know you mentioned it, but I'm originally from Bakersfield, California. Uh, I started playing soccer when I was four years old. Um, when I first started playing, it was in a a league called POW. It was like a, a POW league, like a rec, rec league. And then after that, um, I just started playing Sunday league. And then from there, um, Steve Ari is, he's actually right now with the Big Road Roadrunners. He actually recruited me when back then when they used to be Central California Blues. And then ever since then, I started playing club. And then Steve Ari was my coach. And then after that, he took over the, I believe, the 2000s and 99s. And then Ricardo Gutierrez and his brother Miguel Gutierrez uh, took over my team. And then ever since then, I just started playing uh, with Central California Blues. And then after that, um, I just couldn't afford much. And then um, I just played for a local Sunday League team, Santa Clara, and then they turned into a club. And then after that, I got back in touch with Ricky. And then that's when um, Aztecs was like a whole academy team. And then that's when I joined the academy team with uh, Central California Aztecs. And then from there, you know, I got to where I was, but um, to your question, when you said, uh, when did you realize you, you were in love with, you know, the beautiful game, you know, for me, it was just like my, my entire family always played soccer, like my dad, my older sisters. Um, so for me, like, it was just easy to like start playing and fall in love with it, but I want to get more into detail with that. So I, I'd say like when I realized I had the potential to, um, you know, be the player that I am today, but also, like, you know, believing in myself to become a, a professional player was, I want to say, when I first joined the academy team. Because uh, for me, a lot of people think club is good, which obviously it is. But when I joined the academy team, it just made me realize, like, there's so much competition there. It's way harder. And, like, I obviously was performing, like, my first year in the academy, I wasn't performing well 
with aesthetics and it made me realize like okay like this is the real deal you know there's more quality players compared to club and it's just like the real life for me like whether it be, I want to become a professional soccer player so for me when I realized like okay you know this is my my spotlight or if I want to become a professional soccer player or not or like you know go after that goal of mine was when I got to the academy no, that's awesome. Uh, obviously, you mentioned a lot of names there. So, as uh, Steven Arias uh, played professional soccer, uh, like uh, Marlon said, he's here with Bakersfield Runrunners, but one of the original founders of the Blues, now Central Aztecs, now Albion Central Cal. Um, Ricky Gutierrez, another one, Ray Sanders. Ricky Gutierrez is actually currently the assistant coach at University of San Francisco, so he's still involved at a very high level, um, which is pretty awesome. Now, you mentioned your your whole family playing soccer. His his two <laughs> sisters they're they're pretty good too. They're monsters on the field. Um, they both played very high collegiately as well. So his whole family, like you said, just has a lot a lot of talent in that family. So be on the lookout. I know he has a nephew along the way. Um, you know more and more of the Vargas family coming into the soccer world. Um, I want to touch real quick how you said. Of course, club is great and it's very good competitively, but there's just a whole nother world of DA right, and which is now MLS next, and. I think that's where a lot of players and parents and um, even sometimes coaches don't understand where Coast Soccer League here in California and SoCal um, is good. But, you know, they say, oh, we play gold in Coast Soccer League. Okay, that's great. But there's, you know, bronze, silver, silver league, gold, premier, CRL, NPL, ECNL, EAL, and then the top is MLS Next. So you're at a top of one club, but doesn't mean to stop grinding, you know, you got to push because there's so much potential out there and there's so much a, a different level of competition because even when you make it into the MLS next, if you then move on to, and I'm sure you talk about it, to an uh, uh, MLS actual academy, so not just playing in the league, it's a whole nother monster, right? Where I, I, I really enjoyed you t talking about you realizing you were in love with the game when it was actually the biggest challenge, when you realized you weren't at the level and that that's what pushed you. And I think so many times we face adversities in our careers and we let it, you know, consume us instead of us meeting and rising to the challenge. So that was pretty awesome, Marlon. Um, I know you briefly touched, but how was your experience playing in Bakersfield, which a lot of people say isn't the greatest area of soccer, although I believe there's a lot of talent here. How are the level of coaches, you know, the teammates? And then how was it playing on quote-unquote, not the best fields in sometimes 100-degree weather, 120-degree weather. How was that? <laughs> um, for me, it was, it was good. You know, obviously, you know, I was told by Ricky, actually, he mentioned this to me. He's all like, everything's the same. It's just we're not in a professional environment. Obviously, our fields are shitty compared to over here where they're nice. But everything is technically the same. So going like what I'm trying to say is basically like leaning towards that is that when I got here like he was right everything was the same the only difference was it's more professional their environment is a lot different it's more intense when it comes to trainings uh you know there's more talent I wouldn't say more talented players but there's more players who care you know and they have goals of becoming professional compared to in Vegas so Obviously, there's, there's players who say they want to become pros, but they just say that. They don't really work for it. And, um, you know, I think for me, 
my team when I was with the academy both years, you know, there was so much talent in both teams. And I, me personally, I think there could have been four, four or five, maybe even six players from each team that could have made it to an MLS academy team, I think, in my opinion. But luckily, like, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, some of them just said they wanted to get to that level, didn't take advantage of it. But again, you know, like when it comes to like players in Bakersfield compared to players here, it's not much different. It's just players here. Like when I first moved up, the players here, they just cared a lot more, you know? They like, they're hungry to become pros. Not even if they don't become pros, like they want to go to a D1 college. And if that doesn't work out for them, then okay, what's like, what's next? What's after that? So the only thing I'd say is from Bakersfield, like I 100% agree with you. I think there's so much talent in Bakersfield and, you know, a lot of those players don't get recognized. But I think in order for them to do, like for them to get recognized, they need to show their coaches that they really want it because there's a lot of players who are good, but they don't really care, you know? Yeah. And I feel like for me, what made me be successful on how, where I'm at right now is I like my admirations, my, um, my willingness to learn, you know, I did all the other things like training on my own every time. If I didn't have training, I'd go with race Ray. He trained like, Oh, six girls and I had to go out to train with them, you know, just to get some extra touches in. And obviously the level was different, but, you know, just to get some extra touches in, you know, that was just the most important thing for me. And I think going from Bakersfield training Tuesdays and Thursdays only with my club and coming to Seattle with the Academy joining, we trained four times a week. And that was just even better for me because I love training. So, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds to me like you're saying the biggest difference between the Bakersfield talent and talent who's currently in the MLS academies is commitment, basically, the discipline, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's something that I agree with you, that there's a lot of great players, and it's kind of why aren't they playing in the professional ranks or in the, in the pro academies? And I think it's the discipline and the commitment, like you said. And I've seen it firsthand. Marlon, even this off season. He's out there with the club. Um, I'll be on training on his, uh, you know, off season with any team he can get get involved with. You know, getting <laughs> as much touches as he can, um, giving, you know, sharing his experience with the younger players. You know, just trying to push everybody and then help himself get better, which is a uh, great to see because I think that's the biggest difference between him and a lot of other talent that has come out come out of Bakersfield. So kudos to you, dude, and all that discipline. And I know you briefed on it. You know, going from two practices to four. But other than that, what was kind of the biggest shock when you w went into the Seattle Academy? You know, was it what? What was that? Ooh, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot. There's a lot. The first one I'd say is the style of play, because obviously, when you're an academy team, every team wants to learn how to build. You know, they want to keep possession. Some teams' style of play might be different. And my team, when I was at the academy with Ricky, you know, we tried to be a possession-based team. But in reality, we really weren't. But we could keep the ball well, you know? Like, we had we had good moments on building and bad moments. <laughs> but w with Ricky, what I really liked about him is he was more of a tactical coach. And I think 
his coaching for me helped me going into Seattle because the way Seattle plays is possession based and you can see it from our first team and then hopefully this season you'll see it with our team my team but we're a possession based team we like to play at the back even with pressure you know we'll do anything to play at the back but um another thing for me was like that was a shock was defending 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 because when I was with Aztecs I didn't know how like obviously I knew how to defend but like it wasn't important like I could yeah. get away with it any day yeah. and here when I joined the academy oh my gosh like they they don't fucking harp on me about it like dude you need to learn how to defend or else you're not going to play it, it's crazy I, real quick sorry to interrupt but i was listening no, yeah, to the ahead. the freddie adu podcast recently and that's what mm -hmm. they talked about that at a young age he didn't understand the importance of defending because he got away with it so much right at the level he used to be at and then in the mls he got caught and it was a you know his biggest weakness and i think yeah. someone like him would have benefited going to the academy first high level academies like yourself and I just wanted to kind of mention that because, I mean, it's you mentioned it's a big shock of how much importance they put on defending. And I think it is something that youth players that are very talented get away with not doing. But it's the first yeah. thing where high level teams look at if they see hey, he doesn't even drop back to defend. Do we really want him? So go ahead and continue yeah. on your experience about learning how to. Well, not learning, but the importance of defending with Seattle Sounders. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a little story about it. So actually, when I first joined, I was put, you know, I was told I was going to join right away with the under-16s academy. But that didn't really happen. I ended up joining the under-15s, which was still, obviously, it was still the academy team, but you wouldn't play in the DA. You'd play against, like, local club teams that are the ECNL, which is the top teams from Washington. And, you know, I was, I was doing well. I was scoring goals, getting assists. But the one thing my coach told me was, dude, if you don't learn how to defend, you will never play with the under-16s. And obviously, like I said, like, I knew how to defend, but not in the system they wanted me to defend. So what I mean by that is, like, say a fullback has the ball. How do you shorten up your steps, defend them right, force them to the outside, don't let them come inside, you know, Little little details like that. And, like, like coming from Big Show, I honestly didn't know that. You know, I would just literally, on defense, I just walk back the whole time. So then, obviously, I ended up doing a lot much better in defending. So I got bumped up to the 16s. After that, I scored a couple goals. I was performing well. I was getting rostered more. My playing time wasn't still enough with the under-16s because, you know, the coaches were still questioning my defending. So... That off season, I went back home to Bakersfield. I trained like literally every day. I think uh, as well when they were Aztecs, now they're all beyond. But I think they posted a picture of me saying that oh, like I trained with the O threes, um, like the entire summer, and it was true. And that the entire summer, I told Ray like, dude, if I'm not defending, you need to get on my ass. And you know he ended up getting on me when I wasn't defending or taking plays off. And then literally that season, going to next season, uh, under 17 year, was the year when my academy team won everything. We won the league, we won uh, the DA Cup, DA, uh, GA Cup, and then we went to a couple of tournaments um, in England that we won, and then we went to uh, Switzerland, and we didn't win, but we got third place. But just like 
that season for me was like my breakout season because number one, when I was told that I need to learn how to defend in order to get more playing time, I did it. The coaches complimented me saying that your defending was your success. And what he meant by that was like every time I defended good in our attacking half, I won the ball for us higher up. We got more goals. Whenever I wouldn't defend right in our attacking half, we wouldn't score that many goals. Not just me, but my other teammates as well. So my point is that host that under 17 year was my breakout year. And like when they told me something to do it, I literally spent the entire offseason doing that. And for me, like how you mentioned that was a shock, like defending was a big shock for me. And you know, you can see it now with the high Liverpool, for example, Man City, like their defending is like I wouldn't say Actually, yeah, I would say perfect, but obviously they still get, you know, broken through. But, like, that's just a clear example of, you know, high-level defending. I think it's awesome, you know, and kudos to you, Marlon. It's you got there and coming from, you know, Bakersfield to DA level, I'm pretty sure, you know, where you're the cream of the crop basically here in a small city, right? And going over there and them telling you, hey, you got to learn how to defend. I think many times players' mentality is what do the coaches know? I, I'm good. I'm good enough. I'm better than 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 what they know, right? And I think yeah. you took it into consideration. I think that's the reason you're playing at the level is, okay, you know, the coach who obviously knows the game is telling me I need to learn how to defend. Let's go do it. And you took it upon yourself to do it in the entire offseason. And obviously you've had some help along the way from Albion and Ray and Ricky and uh, Steve. So it's it's great. And I guess my follow-up question to that is, do you think it's important for players at the youngest level, because I think it is, to play, you know, under 12, under 13, to play in different positions so they kind of under get a full understanding of the game rather than we see it so many times as seven-year-olds, six-year-olds, they're locking them in at one position their entire game. And now when they're getting to the top, maybe a center back now doesn't have as great of foot skills because he never got the opportunity to use them. Or like you said, a winger doesn't know how to defend, doesn't know the small little details of how to approach, which way to uh, force the opponent because they never got that exposure. So do you think it's important to kind of move players around a lot in the younger age groups? Yeah, that's, I think that's a great question. And my answer to that is yes, of course, because what, even when I was young, like, when Steve took me in, I was, I remember I was playing Sunday league and I was obviously a striker, you know, cause yeah. I would score a lot of goals and, you know, Sunday league, you just, as a forward, that's all you do. You just score goals. And then when I went into club, they actually put me as a winger. And I was like, fuck, like I've never played this position. Why are you guys putting me there? And then obviously I didn't ask. I just, you know, I went with it. And then when they put me winger, you know, I started playing in it. For months and months i'm like okay i'm starting to like this position you know like it's not that different from a striker in terms of attacking wise because at that point you know i had i wasn't defending i didn't want to defend so like attacking wise for me wasn't wasn't anything different it's just obviously more running tracking back and then you know i could still score goals give assists and then when i joined the academy with ricky and ray they put me as an attacking midfielder. And at that point, I was like, okay, so this is another different position I never played. But similar also, I could be creative. Uh, I could score goals, give assists. And yeah, so I think like at a young age, you need to 
as a coach or as a player, like you shouldn't complain. <laughs> like I know obviously they're little kids, but you shouldn't complain about what position a coach is putting you in because when you get to a bigger like a bigger how do I say this? Uh, like a bigger level. Yeah. Um you won't be as confused when they put so say you're a striker or a winger. And when you get to a higher level in academy, you're a winger and then they put you as a 10 or a striker. And when you were little, you know, you were moving around in those areas. Now you know how to play that in that system, but can you adapt and can you learn to their system how they want you to play? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that was a great question. I think, yeah, kids, you know, at younger age, they should, you know, definitely be moving around in different positions because when you get to the higher level, not only will you know a little bit more of that position, but, you know, when you get to a better level team, they would definitely get the best out of you in that position. And maybe you might start liking that position a lot more. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think you touched on it. The adaptation is key at every level, being able to adapt, even in mid-game, right? Um, many times we as coaches, we, we set you guys up in a system that we think is going to work. Or, for example, in a um, style of play or practice that we put you guys in these problems to find solutions but it's up to the player to ultimately find it. So can the player adapt during the game to what the opponent is giving you? And I think that's awesome. And real quick, kind of going a little bit changing direction for the coaches that are listening to us. I think there's a lot of different coaches that would benefit from hearing your opinion on what do you think it is the biggest difference between a regular club coach and quote unquote, a high level MLS Academy coach. Is there a difference? Is it potentially just uh, networking their way in? Or um, what do you think, in your opinion? Um, I think it could, like, in my opinion, I think it could be both. Because there's some coaches in club that know the game really well. They just need, I think, I feel like they need to um, explain the game, like, into detail, like, very, very good to the players. Because, for example... You probably know my uh, my old ex head coach Chris Little, who's now with um, the Colorado Raptor, Colorado Rapids first team as an assistant coach. But I think for me personally, he's the best coach I had tactically, and the one who's you know pushed me and got the best out of me. Compared to Ricky and Ray, Ray, for example, he got the best out of me. He was intense, you know, like he wasn't more technical. He was just like boom, 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 intense, intense. Not to Ricky, he was more tactical, more chill. And then when I come over here, I come to Chris, and he's both. You know, he's intense. His tactical, the way he sees the game is, like, it's insane. It's really good. And he's actually one of the coaches that, you know, got me to learn how to defend. Um, I learned more tactical stuff because of him that I didn't know when I was with Aztec. So... Going to, going to your question, I think the difference is like coaching with with clubs compared to academy or higher level is that like sometimes coaches for club, you know, they don't really take it too serious, you know? And obviously, you know, some could be okay with that. Some could be fine with it. But if you really want to help players develop, I think it's really important that you push and get like the best of every player because you want to see them develop. You want to see them succeed. And 
I don't think there's a lot of coaches like that in Bakersfield. But, you know, I was lucky enough to have coaches like that in Bakersfield in that organization compared to others. So, you know, I think that's the difference for me is that some coaches in club who coach club don't really like develop their players well compared to the MLS or not MLS, but academy teams. Those coaches really want to develop their players and make them better and want to see them succeed, whether it's becoming a professional soccer player or becoming a D1 athlete. Yeah, I think that's the importance of caring, right, for the players and caring for what you do is, is something you stress a lot. And, you know, you were lucky enough to have some great coaches growing up here in town. And what I want to reemphasize is you, everything about each coach you mentioned a little bit different, right? They had their own way of coaching, but doesn't mean one style is better than another, right? You you kind of put yeah. an emphasis on be be who you are. Ricky's a little bit more relaxed, more tactical. Ray's a little bit more intense. Um, Chris Little had a, a little bit of uh, both, and I, I think that's important is we can't force it as coaches, just like you can't force it as a player, right? You are who you are, mm -hmm. and just be the best version of you you can be. So I think that's important, um, and I just want to kind of touch that a little bit so that way the coaches that are listening um, have a little bit of a better idea. And kind of it shows right there with Chris Little is – doing the little things right you know he obviously is a great tactical mind he he developed many players and now it's gotten him to the first team same thing like greg vanny right coaching the yeah. academy systems and now look at considered one of the best in the mls um so mm -hmm. i think it's important to make an impression on on the players you have and how important is it to you of coaches you know in england they call them managers because it's more about managing the players how important is that to you, you know, a coach stressing the the effort to make a relationship with you off the field rather than just on the field? Oh, that's very important for me because obviously back home I had a, a strong, good relationship and I still do have that relationship with both my coach or both my old coaches, Ray and Ricky. You know, we're still always in contact. They're still checking up on me and stuff like that. So I think, you know, on the field is important, but I think off the field is also probably even more important because, you know, when you're, in, when you're playing, you know, that's on the field stuff, but when you're off the field, you know, you know, they want to, they want to see you become a good person, you know? And I think that's probably the most important thing is you establishing um, a great relationship with your managers off the field, not just on the field. Oh, that's awesome. Um, And kind of, Shifting again, uh, we've been focusing a lot on the coaching, but for the players out there, the parents that are listening, I know you mentioned a lot, a lot of training in the off time. So what does it take to become a professional player? Exactly how much time did you spend in the off season? How much a day? And did you spend more time doing technical work or just playing as much as you could, you know, finding pickup games, finding leagues to play in? What, what exactly do you think was the biggest develop, developmental aspect of your game? Um, <laughs> that's actually a good question, but I feel like for me, it'd be all of them because, you know, just training your entire time in the off season, you know, obviously you want to get games in, um, to see how you've been progressing in the off season. And for me, this past off season, you know, I would train in the morning. I'd go to the gym with uh, a three Ryan, shout out to him. Um, I'd go, I would go work out with him in the morning, get my physical side, you know, stronger. And then later that day, later that same day, I trained with um, 
Ricky Casillas, who is actually coaching with Bakersfield Alliance, who I think has a great group of kids, and he's a very good coach. I think so because for me, he has the same style of approach as you, mm-hmm. building out of the back. You know, a Barca not not like a Barca based team, but you want to emphasize in how they play. Yeah, and show your kids, you know, this is how you play. And I think, um, you know. Shout out to him for training me. And then later, again, like around six, you know, I'd go train with Albion with the 04s or your 03 team. And then sometimes I'd even coach with the 06 with Chris Alvarez and help those kids out. But going to your question about, you know, what would help me the most in the offseason was I think, you know, getting the training I need, both physical and technical. Like a little bit of everything for me. No, that's awesome. And when you were younger, before you became a professional player, how much emphasis did you put on watching the game to actually learn? Um, Because I think a lot of our younger players now don't watch enough or they watch, but they don't watch their position. So how much time would you spend on actually watching the game? That's a good question. Me personally, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd watch the game. But I watched it for, like, my pleasure because I wanted this team to win. I didn't really watch it, like, into detail how I watch it now because, obviously, I'm a pro now. But I feel like if I were to watch it, like, like if I was, obviously, if I, when I was younger, if I was, like, smarter, I would have watched the game, you know, how I watch it now compared to just watching it, just to watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Going to your question is, I think a lot of young players should actually watch the game, study their positions, study how players see the game at the highest level, and, you know, try to implement it within themselves. And I think for me, it, um, like when I did, when I do that now, and I, for me, I like to watch Neymar play, Coutinho play. He's injured right now, but he's probably one of my favorite players. Messi, obviously. You know, there's no question about me wanting to, like, watch him play. But when I see them play, you know, I just – I see how they play. I see how they see the game. And then when I get up to the field, I try to emphasize it. And obviously, I'm not at the level they are. But sometimes, you know, I try doing what they do. And if it doesn't come off, then that's fine. You know, I get on with it. I try doing it again. And, you know, if it comes off, it comes off. And if it does come off, then I just keep working at it. And I think that's important right there is although Messi's a great player, well, great, phenomenal player, the GOAT, right, is you yeah. you still try to be like him. And I think that's important is still push yourself to to be the best. Why can't you be like Messi? Why can't a, a player growing up be the next uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, right? And I think yeah. that's important right there. You said, look, there's no harm in trying. You try it, it didn't come off, you try it again, maybe you get it, maybe you don't. But you never know if you can learn something if you don't try it. And what I'm getting from you is that you're definitely a learner. You want to go out, you want to learn, you want to grind as much as possible. And I guess for a simple breakdown, is what is the simplest form of training that a player by themselves can do? Is it, you know, the simple get a ball and go against a wall, simple juggling? Is it the pele juggle with a little, uh, te- you know, tangerine or, or a tennis ball? What was the, your go-to move when you, you know, had nobody else? Was it putting out cones? What exactly was it? Honestly, I would just 
when I was little, I remember I literally played inside my house. And, you know, obviously houses, they have walls. And yeah. I used those walls. I hope they have walls. Like, <laughs> I, I had those walls. And, um, you know, there's, in my specific house, there's a wall. And I used that as my goal. And obviously, as a, like, when I was younger, you know, I didn't think about, at the time, like, me getting better with doing this. You know, I just did it just to do it because I wanted to have fun. I wanted to play. And then I'd break a lot of stuff in the house. But now that I think about it, like, when I do train on my own, it just comes easier. Like how you mentioned, what do I do? I do a lot of technical stuff. And now that I'm in a professional environment, you know, it's a lot easier because they give you ideas of what you could work on. We go over film. They give me a sheet of what can I improve on. And then I do it. And then I do it in training. And then after training, we get um, 30 minutes of working on our own. And there's just one thing we have that's called IDP individual development plan and i do that with some of my uh, teammates and we just work on it work on it work on it work on it and then day by day you just you know you see improvements but when i was little going back to your question like if i was juggling technical stuff i didn't really do any of that like i'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you like i didn't do any of that i just played to play but now that i'm a pro and I realized those things. I'm like, like, what was I doing? Like, that wasn't getting me any better. But yeah, to answer your question, like, I, I didn't do any. Obviously, I did juggling, but it was for fun. You know, it wasn't to get myself better. Honestly, that's great. Thanks for being honest. And I think that's super cool because basically what you're telling me is you just enjoyed the game so much. You just played it as much as possible. You didn't think about it as training. And I think that's where, you know, Brazilian, Argentinian coaches, England coaches, that's where they have it right. They just play all day long. It's a part of their culture. It's a part of their life. They're not thinking I'm going to train to get better. They're just going out to enjoy it rather than our kids. Maybe it's the lack of futsal courts or, or the lack of, you know, free goals that are out at the parks. But I think that's the important part, just going out, enjoying it, playing it, because there's no way you're going to put yourself through all this if you don't enjoy, you know, the beautiful game. Yeah. And I, I think that's a key, key part. And Marlon, when you stepped in from the Seattle Sounders Academy, which is already an elite level that many players don't get to see to the professional ranks, at what age mm -hmm. did you sign? And then what was your, like, I know we talked about your biggest shock in the Academy, but what do you think was the biggest challenge going from Academy to professional? Okay. Um, well, I signed a contract when I was 17, and it was after my breakout tournament in GA Cup in Texas. We had won the Premier Division, and I, I won the MVP of the tournament. I had the most goals and most assists. And, you know, that for me, that just said it all that, like, you know, I was going to get signed because it was my breakout season. I had, you know, teams from Europe coming up to my Academy director, head coach, Chris, saying that, oh, you know, we have interested him. And I think that's what obviously drew more attention towards the Sounders organization to pursue the signing. And what was your other question again? What was the shock going from the academy to the yeah, pro environment? The, the biggest challenge or the biggest shock going from the academy to the professional. Now you're going from, you know, training with kids your age to training with men that are some of them, you know, twice your age even. Yeah. Um, the biggest shock for me was, you know, experience, having experience, 
being a great pro, seeing the game better than how you've seen it in the academy level? Because obviously, there's a huge difference from the academy to the pros. And what I mean to say by that is, yes, the academy is a high level. But when you go when you go to the academy into the pros, it's even more of a high level because obviously in the academy, it's still a little bit slow compared to the pros. You're like, fuck, there's a man on your ass already compared to the academy. Like there's a man on your ass, but it's not as physical. Also, you know, you could still hold them up compared to the when I trained with the pros. It was like, fuck, I'm getting pushed the ball off hella easy and I'm not thinking quicker. Um, this guy's reading every touch, every pass, you know, disguise it, like disguising my intentions to play forward, you know, wasn't there. So I think for me, the biggest shock was um, like seeing the game a lot, a lot faster and being a step ahead. And then what I think helped me was my vision and seeing the game different. And obviously, you know, playing against more experienced pros, you know, they read some of that, but also since I feel like a big aspect of my game is like I have really good vision and I see the game well, you know, I was still able to, even when I had a man up my ass, you know, still play that pass that I seen before he read it. And, you know, obviously I struggled, but like I still got it done. And I'm obviously I made an, I impressed the coaches and I, I just kept performing well at that level. Yeah, I think that's the biggest difference between, you know, the great players. Because, I mean, we can all go to a Sunday league game and we see many fantastic players out there technical-wise. But, like, you just stress the emphasis of can you think fast enough to be able to execute that technique, right? So a lot of us are, you know, a lot of players, they have great technique, but the soccer IQ aspect isn't there or can't do it yeah. fast enough in a game so i think that's the biggest important that you stress uh factor that you stress there in the professional game is the the speed of play and thinking fast enough to be able to execute you know with your technique yeah. so kind of wanting a touch more on the professional level obviously you know we just uh, started the new usl season how is that going so far and what kind of system is your team trying to play? I know you briefly talked about it earlier, but if you can talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, we try to emphasize how our first team plays and our first team, you know, they changed their formation. You know, they went to a back three with wing backs. So essentially a five, three, two, but they still build with four technically because they, they build with three and then they always bring in the fourth depending what side uh, they're on. So if it's like the left side, they bring the, uh, the other winger in, you know, to prevent transition. But my team, you know, we're trying to emphasize that too, but I think we're still trying to play in a 4-3-3 formation with a false nine. And I'm the false nine currently. So on the build, I think what they want us to do is to create a three and then play with two sixes and then two high tens wingers super high and wide and then me obviously coming in that pocket the open pocket linking to play and then going forward but i wouldn't think i wouldn't say like our style my, for my team ourselves plays a lot different from the first team it's just the first team you know they executed very well yeah compared to us when in our previous preseason matches you know we were struggling because we've never played in that 
style of play before. And for me, you know, I went from being a winger to a 10, and now I'm playing false nine, which is, you know, different because obviously when I was younger, I mentioned I played striker, but at a higher level, playing nine, false nine, you know, it's a lot different and like what your coaches want you to do, how to play it, you know. But I think the style of play or how we want to play isn't different from the first team. But like I mentioned, the first team have been executing that style of play really well to compare to us in our previous, you know, preseason matches, we haven't been executing, which, you know, it's tough because our, our first um, first game opener is on Sunday against like two. And, you know, we've been struggling, but, you know, I think we could, you know, implement our style of play against them because, um, you know, they're really exposed when I watch the game against Sacramento. They look really exposed and, you know, hopefully we could implement the way we play against them and it'll be a good game. Yeah, so it's a, a little bit of a process learning the new system, having it adapt very quickly. But as you mentioned before, adaptation is key in the professional game. Um, kind of learning that new false nine. Do you kind of watch the Pep Guardiola's Barcelona with Messi playing that role? And now currently, right, Kevin De Bruyne kind of plays that role with uh, Pep's team again with Man City. Do you kind of watch those videos to kind of see exactly how, how they played it and executed it? Oh, for sure. My, I always... My coach, our assistant coach, always is always sending me clips of um, how Man City's playing it, and then also he's sending me uh, clips of when um, Spain did it with Cesc Fabregas as a false nine, and obviously with Barca. But he's always sending me clips, and then he's always you know getting on my ass if I watch like today if I watch the game today. He actually texted me after the game, so I'm like you see De Bruyne you know playing that role, and I was like yeah, I watched it, and then we didn't go over the game, but. He asked me a couple questions and stuff like that. So yeah, obviously I'm always like I'm always trying to learn, and obviously this is a new like position for me, but I like it. You know, I think it suits my my style of play and like it suits my game because I think I'm really good in the pocket. So you know, we'll see this season coming up. I think that's awesome, Marlon. That although you're a professional player, you recognize that you still have a lot of room to grow, and you watch other professional leagues right and learn from other professional players and i think that's something we can all learn from where if we're a u10 player maybe we could go watch our u19 team and uh if we're yeah. right back watch their right back you know and see how exactly it's going because many clubs you know especially like clubs like san diego um surf or albion san diego where they have the mls next teams you have the ability to go watch high level teams and then get out there if you're if your club has a quote first team unquote you know, playing in the UPSL, NPSL, whatever it may be, just get out there and watch higher level collegiate soccer, high school soccer, whatever it may be, you know, and of course the professional ranks. So I think that's something where all all coaches, all players can can learn something from you, Marlon, is being able, being open and being able to learn from uh, other professional players is awesome. So can you briefly describe what it, what it looks like a typical day for a professional player? Ooh. An average day, right, not I'm COVID gonna... related. A little average day. Right now, we know you're getting average tested. Day? Uh, I'll I'll break it down. So obviously, um, our whole entire organization we got vaccinated. So it's kind of normal again, kind of not because we still get we still get tested every once in a while. But um, you know, a day in life for me is, you know, just like having a regular job is just you know I'd wake up, I wake up every day at eight fifteen in the morning, 
I shower, I eat. Um, we're supposed to be in our facility at around 9.30, but I like to get there earlier, you know, just hang around. If I need to get treatment, I get treatment. If not, chill, talk to teammates, you know, even probably maybe even do like extras or I don't know, you know, just hang out just to get there early. And then from 9.30 to 9.50, we do pre-activation with the team. And then um, at 10, we start training. And then it depends. So like Mondays is usually like a, a re-intro session, but uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are really the hard days. So those two days, we, we always have double session. So on a Tuesday for me, a regular a day a regular day for me would be you know waking up at eight fifteen, showering, eating, head to our facility, get treatment if I need it. If not, um, you know just hang out, get ready, prepare for training, because I know it's gonna be a long day. So um, you know prepare myself, and then like I said, from ten training usually goes from ten to twelve. And then after that, we get a 30 to an hour break. And then we go again for our second session from 12.45, I want to say, to 1 or 2. And after that, you know, we shower, eat lunch, go home. Um, I was actually doing school. So I'd come home. I'd take a nap, um, do school, and then... Um, you know, show the rest of the day, eat dinner like around 6 p.m. And then the rest of the day, you know, it was all to myself. So that's pretty much a day in the life as a pro for me on uh, when we have double sessions. But when we don't have double sessions, like on uh, Thursday, same thing, same routine. I wake up at 8.15, you know, get to our facility around 9.30, preactivation, start training. Then after that, Around 12 is usually when we're done. Then after that, at 12, you know, we get our lunch. We can head home. And then after that, I'm usually just chilling, you know, watching Netflix. Or if I got to do school, I do school. And oh, I also always go over uh, video, video film, video session. And then, like, if I have any questions, I text my coach. We do Zoom. And, yeah. And how important is it and – I would like, if you could, stress it for the younger listeners, taking care of your body, recovery, eating right, drinking enough water. How important is that? When did you learn of the importance? And when did you wish you actually knew about it? Uh, I wish I learned, I, I knew about, you know, eating more healthier when I was, uh, I want to say, 13, 14, because at that time is when I actually realized, like, I have the potential to go to a D1 school or, you know, my goal is to become a pro. So I feel like, like, around that time, I wish I would have, like, obviously learned a lot better to eat healthier and stuff like that. But obviously, as a kid, you know, your parents always told you, like, these stuff would help you eat healthier, be healthier. And, you know, sometimes it wasn't, but they would say that because, you know, they're your parents. But now, you know, as a pro, I know more about my body, know about more uh, nutritionists and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's very important. And not just eating healthy, but taking care of your body, getting treatment, you know, if you need to do 
Me personally, I, I hate ice baths. <laughs> I don't really, I, I don't really do them, but I have to because on a double session, you're sore. You're really sore. So, like I said, I don't really do them, but I do ice my legs a lot. So, I think you know, recovery is very, very, very important. Just because as a pro, you're always busy. You know, if you're not training, you have a game every two games a week, maybe even three. Uh, even if you don't have games, you're going hard every day and practice. Don't, whether it's a double session, whether it's reintro reintro day, you know. And another thing for me is like, as for example, a reintro day session. Like even though it's short, and it's like a day where like okay, like you know you're not gonna go hard. You still have to go hard. Like training needs to be intense when it's, for example, a reintro session for us would be like you know passing, passing patterns, um, unbalancing sometimes, and then possession, and that's pretty much it. And then we're done. So that's a that's a little bit, but like you need to be intense. Like you need to treat it like it's another session, another harder session, and you know sometimes as a as a kid. When you play on Sundays, when you train Mondays, you know it's a it's small session too, but it's like they don't really care. You know, it's just goofing around all the time. And like as a pro, you can't get away with that. You you just can't. Like if you do, you just you either get kicked off the training, or you just won't play. Simple as that. So I think every little thing is very important as a pro. Like when it comes to training, and I was, I'm gonna be honest, like. To this day, I still goof around a lot. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, lie to you about it. I still goof around a lot, and it's one of the things that I need to improve on. But you know, as an experience, I want to say that much of experience, but experience with this level, and you know, having a a teammate that's in his late 30s that's been experienced, you know, he helping me, you know, be more mature as a pro. So I think, you know. That's helped me a lot too. Is having you know role models within my team or leaders helping me grow, being more mature. So yeah, yeah uh, thanks for being honest. I think it's a key element to be able to recognize your weaknesses, and that's the first step to improve it, right? And as just like you improved your defense, I'm sure you're gonna improve this one. Um, yeah. Last question. Well, actually, there's two more, but last <laughs> big question is. Yeah. How do you describe the biggest difference between a professional training environment where I'm sure, like you just said, the intensity is very high, everyone wants to win, the communication's probably there, versus a typical club? For example, um, you can use my former team. When you would walk in from a pro-level you know, environment to a club level, and what's the best advice that you can tell the players to kind of get them to that level? hold your teammates accountable um and i'm gonna use your team as an example only because um like you don't have much players you know mm -hmm. and there's been a point in time last season actually where it was kind of the same for us for my team because we were in that point where we could bring first team players down to join our team and sometimes there'd be players from our team joining the first team and we wouldn't have enough numbers and we just got to adapt and yet it's fucking shitty as fuck but you're still like from, from my team you're still a pro so you still gotta act like it even though it's shit the coaches you know they'll tell you like yeah i'm sorry this is shit but 
we have to do what we have to do. You know, it's not another day off for us. You know, you got to go hard. And me seeing that and then turning it into an example of with your team, you know, when you have small group numbers with your team, you know, some of those players were just, you know, not that they wouldn't take it serious, but like, it's like they didn't want to be there. Like they would take it serious, but it's like, fuck, we don't have any players. Like, you know, like I'm gonna just take plays off. And you were hard about that. I remember you calling out players. You even said like, it's shitty when you don't have enough numbers, but you got to make the best out of it. And I think, you know, I got to experience that even with my pro team, like it's you're hundred percent right. Like you can't take this day off just because we have less numbers. You know, you always got to go at it. If you want to become better, you got to, you got to want to be better. You can't just take a day off just because your whole entire team didn't show up. So that's my point of view. It's pretty cool though, that I know you got to experience in the club level and experience in the pro level. And I think that's the biggest point is the pro just sucked it up and said, Hey, it is what it is. We have to deal with it. Roll with the punches. Let's go. Now the club level, Again, it's not ideal for the for me as a coach, for the players, but the biggest difference was they let it kind of break them rather than just say, let's make the best of it. And I think where sometimes in the club level we complain about not having the best goals, not having the best facilities, not having enough balls sometimes even at the regular club level, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of complaining, they say, hey, we have one ball. All right, we're gonna, every time it goes out, I'm going I'm to I'm bust <laughs> my butt and I'm going to sprint over there, get extra fitness, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it may be. Obviously, not every team practices one ball. They're going to think Baker Short only has one ball, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think what we're trying to get at is the mentality aspect is a, is a key difference. You know, make, you know, kind of the old saying, you can either see the glasses half empty or half full and just yeah. make the best of it. And this is, really is the last question, Marlon. Any last second advice to, you know, parents, players or coaches that are listening to this? Um, yeah, you know, for parents, obviously, you're always going to want to support your kid. And, you know, my parents, they did that for me. And I think that was a, a huge plus for me in my career. And obviously, for me, you know, it was difficult because when I left, basically, I was only 15 years old. And for my parents to, you know, let me leave at 15 years old, leave the state, move into a family that, you know, it was like, who the hell are you arguing argue people? You know, it just showed that like my parents really believed in me. And for me, you know, that was that was very huge. Um, you know, I don't like if it wasn't for my parents, you know, maybe I'll like if maybe if I had different parents, you never know. Like I probably wouldn't even be here. Because some parents, you know, it's not that they don't believe in their kids, but they just wouldn't let your kid leave the state to a random family leaving the state and like what if he doesn't even go pro or what if he doesn't get to a college you know like the kid could possibly fuck up and end up going back home and then what's next after that you know for my parents you know they were really confident with me they believed in me and you know, they let me achieve my my dream and you know i'm happy for that but you know i always tell them like i'm not satisfied with it because you know obviously i want to get him less and if it's not less i want to head to Europe and you know I still got a lot of um, you know development left in me that I can learn and learn more for games so yeah for me it's just you know parents always always support your kids no matter what because you know if they want it really bad 
you'll be a huge effect on that. Yeah, parents, you heard it here from a professional player. Support your kids. Support them a lot, as much as possible. Even if their dreams seem crazy, even if it's outside of soccer, you never know. Um, don't be a dream killer. Uh, really support them. But Marlon, thank you. Uh, you provided a unique perspective, not only from a professional player, for, but for many, many talent um, here in the United States that may not be growing up in the biggest cities in the world, um, but still have the dream of playing professional. And I think that's a beautiful thing about soccer is that just work hard and even if it's not you know even if you don't have the size even if you don't have the quickness you can still make it into the professional game so thank you marlon for joining us we really appreciate it um guys we'll post his social medias that way you guys can make sure you follow him reach out to him let him know how much you enjoyed the podcast as always feel free to reach out to us on twitter email us at soccercap at rh soccer solutions and as always we appreciate you guys and thank you again marlon thanks so thanks for having me thanks for listening to the soccer cap reach out on social media or via email let us know who you want to hear from or topics that you'd like to hear about Thanks for listening, and as always, who will be capped next?